Here we are again on demand with a message about your friends. That's right. I want to talk about your friends today and how they impact your life. This message will help you take a good look at the people in your life and decide, are they helping you or are they hindering you? It's a good, wonderful, simple message that will bless your life. Enjoy it. I'll see you in just a few minutes. Enjoy today's message. I want to talk today um, with a story in mind. Um, if, if, if you could imagine somebody with a dream and they're sitting there and they're looking up in the sky and they're like thinking hard about what they want, like this little girl behind me, right? And, and you're dreaming about what you want to be, like the, the middle-aged guy up here or the guy looking out of the canyon. If you could be one of these, these people, up here, this woman that's behind me who's got that look on her face like I'm dreaming. Imagine, imagine this person and imagine what you would say to this person if you were trying to help them start dreaming. The first thing you'd say is, let's develop a strategy. Let's come up with a list of things that we want to do and not do. Let's make sure we have a plan. And that's what we talked about this month, the importance of having a strategy. And so we've been working through four strategies to build your dreams for the future. Say it with me, please. Come on. Four strategies to build your dreams for the future. And, and, and they're just things I said you just don't want to do. We use Matthew chapter 20, uh, verse 24 as our starting place. And I wanted to stay here for the entire month to kind of give us one place to land and one place to start and one place to kind of get our, our minds going in the right direction. And this, this story is profound because Jesus is approached by three people is a mother and two sons, James and John, and their mother. And they come and they ask Jesus, hey, can we ask you a question? We, we want to we sit in high position in your kingdom. They believed he was going to establish a physical kingdom. So they said, we want the top positions. You know, one to sit on your right hand and on your left hand. That's what we want. We want to sit here. We want to sit there. That's what we we want to be close to you. And so Jesus says this. He says to them, well, I, I just can't quite give it to you like that. But the real question is, are you able to do what I do? Are you able to drink what I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? Some things you may not be able to swallow. Some things you can't be, the word baptized means immersed, you know, pushed under the pressure. Can you deal with what I'm dealing with? And so for some people, the answer was yes, but for them, it was an affirming yes. We are able. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. We are able. It was profound. They were strongly committed to this whole idea. We are able to do this. We can do this. We can overcome this. And so he says, well, sure, it, great, but I can't just give it to you. This is for those that's been prepared for it, which basically said you can't just ask for stuff. That's kind of naive to just think you can just ask. You're confused if you think you can just ask for stuff and get it. There is a price you pay. So that took care of the first three sermons we talked about. If you want to dream again, number one, you don't need to work alone. You saw James and John and them coming. They came as a group, a family. And I talked about the danger of working by yourself. If you're dreaming and you're dreaming alone, you're going to have problems because you need somebody to speak into the dream. The way the system is designed, the way God works, you don't succeed alone. You just don't. You're not going to build a business alone. You're not going to build a staff alone. You're not going to be a lone ranger. You need a team, and you need to be, have the capacity to build team. It's really important. Secondly, I said, you don't want to be confused. You need to be clear about where you're going. You know, I asked the pastor the other day, I said, when people get in your car, what's the first thing they ask you? 
where you're going, right? And if you're not careful, you only know you're going to the next bus stop. So let's say we drive a block and park and say, where are we going? Don't know yet. And then when you go another block, if you're not careful, preaching like that, where you only know from week to week, it's like getting in a car, going from block to block. You really want to know we're going to the mall. You want a clear direction. We're going to Disney. Where we're going, then we can map out a plan because we're not confused about where we're going. But the key thing is we can't be naive, which is what I talked about in the third sermon. You know, okay, it's naive to get in the car and be excited about going to Disney and have uh, no gas. We call that naive excitement. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Now, there's a good side to that. The good side of that is you want somebody to be excited. I mean, you know, when you're a kid, you used to say, what do you want to be when you grow up? You want them to say, I want to be a, oh, man, that's great. That's a great thing. You know, it's a really powerful thing. And if you have a kid in your life, you know, I've got one of these. I've got a couple of them, but my son in particular, he's a dreamer guy. So if you if you got a kid like that and you got somebody in their life, you got to be careful. You don't snuff out the dream. you got to learn how to build the dream because they dream. You know, he works for Disney now. Lord Jesus. Never planned that one. You know, he's a great musician. Ricky's amazing. You know, he's talented. But he wanted, he had a dream. Dad, I want to, I want to be a, I want to be at the piano. I said, but you can't play the piano. You play the drums. He says, now you give me lessons, I can. So I got him lessons, and guess what? He became this amazing piano guy. Went and got a degree in it. Then he said, now I want to be a puppet specialist. What's that? I want to, I want to work with the Muppets. And all the Muppets, just watching on TV. Why do you want to work with them? You want to work with the Muppets? So he wants to go to Disney, and he becomes this puppet specialist. That's what he is now. He trains people to work with the Muppets. And all so it's just, and then he, then now, now he's moved to another department. So now he's in, um, he's in uh, associate uh, music, I'm um, sorry, show writer and music producer dude. Yeah, that's what he's, so, okay, that's good. He's probably happy if he's watching. Yeah, they liked you. Okay, good thing, Rick. Anyway, the <laughs> Bottom line is, I'm shocked. Like, what in the world is this? But it's not my dream. It's his dream. So I, I, I need to understand that. I'm kind of like riding in the boat with him. And that's part of what a parent does. You figure out where they want to be, and you do your best to kind of help them get there as best you can. Well, it's a dream. You can't be naive about what it costs. I'll let him tell his own story. It's expensive. The dream costs a lot. Sacrificing cuts and adjustments just to get to the place where you get to do that. Now, at the end of the day, that's what Jesus wanted them to understand. You, hey, don't be confused about where you want to go. Be clear. And number two, number three, don't be naive about it. And don't work alone. Let people in your life that can help you. It's really smart. Then we come to the last thing is don't be peer pressured. That's today's message. Don't be peer pressured. And the sermon's title, repeat it with me, please. Say the power of positive and negative peer pressure. Come on, say it. The power of positive and negative peer pressure. I believe that peer pressure can be good and peer pressure can be bad. In your life, you need to know how to recognize both. There are people that are negative. They are harmful to you. If you allow them to speak into your life, they will harm you because of the way they see the world. Now, they don't know that they harm you because to them it's normal to be in that state. They always fuss, cuss. That's part of loving you. That's how they live. And so they do that. They, they don't think that um, the way they organize or disorganize their life or communicate, they don't, they don't feel any harm. As a matter of fact, they're confused when you're offended. All I did was cuss you a little bit. It didn't hurt. Did you, did I, I didn't stab you. 
just get over it. Those are just words. They don't mean anything. That's how they think. Yeah, I was unfaithful, but, you know, I stopped. So and I don't plan to do it right now again. You know, I can't make any promises, but I don't plan to. So get over it. I'm sorry. I said it. Now, that, is that it? Okay, good. Let's go to dinner. I mean, it's, it's, it's like that. That's the way they think. It's a way of thinking that's profound. But anyway, so there's this incredible uh, amount of negative peer pressure. People can press you to accept things that's in, a, in a negative way, and it's not good for you. But then there's positive peer pressure. There are people that come along, and they are so good for you. They may not make you feel comfortable, but, boy, they're good for you. They, they inspire you to be on time. They inspire you to read. They inspire you to be better, to be in shape. They don't like it when you're not in shape. They, they, they need to work out. They, they push you a little bit. Don't eat that. But they, you, know, you need some positive people in your life who, who may push you a little bit. So today I want to show you in this text the positive and the negative. There are four things specifically I want you to notice uh, that stand out to me about James and John's encounter. Now, please notice what's going to happen is, after the disciples um, hear James and John come to Jesus and ask to be on the right hand and left hand, they get an attitude and they become negative. And so you're going to see, first of all, negative peer pressure. Look at verse 24 of Matthew chapter 20. When the ten heard it, top of your notes, they were greatly displeased with the who? Two brothers. They, what they hear, they heard these guys asking for the top positions. You go, well, who are you guys? You're going to notice that in their relationship as disciples, it was constant pressure. You know, who are you? you, you what you mean you want to be over us? You know, no. You can especially hear Peter. No, not to be over us. You're going to be the two top guys. Why in the world would you automatically think you're going to be the two top guys? And Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your what? Servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So notice two negatives and two positives in this. Number one, James and John were negatively pressured to never strive for senior positions. The, the 10 guys didn't like that they had the gall to ask to be at the top positions. Number two, James and John were, negative, were being negatively pressured to never verbalize their dreams publicly. If you think it, don't say it. And there are people like that. They, they don't like when you say you want something beyond what they want. Thirdly, James and John were positively pressured to be servant leaders. Let the greatest among you be your servants. Jesus turns it around and said, listen, in the Gentile world, it's all about lording over people. These people lord over these people. These people lord over these people. But it shall not be so among you. So he's challenging them to be servant leaders. Then fourthly, James and John were being positively pressured to be examples of the Gentiles. He said, you're not like the Gentiles. You're different. So here you've got positive and negative influence, which is great. There's a verse in John chapter 13 where it tells a story about the foot washing where Jesus washed the disciples' feet. It's a great story because the disciples, again, had an argument right after the Lord's Supper. It's amazing. Right after the communion. <laughs> the big sitting at the table deal where they're all sitting there, right? And they have this big argument about, guess what? Who's going to be the greatest? 
And so you can just, in the Bible describes it as a heated argument in the book of Luke. It's a heated debate. And so they have this great argument. And then Jesus in John 13 is recorded. While they were arguing after supper being ended, the Bible says Jesus came and he started washing their feet while they were arguing. And the goal was, let me create some positive peer pressure here. While you guys are out of control, let me give you something to really think about. It's all about being a servant. It's not about being in charge. It's not about being the boss. It's not about becoming over somebody. So there are three lessons from this pressured moment that I want you to see. Number one, you should never allow your ambitions to be defined by people with less vision than you. The, the, the ten guys didn't get it. And so what I, what, I, what I love is Jesus never rebuked the two guys for asking for, for these positions. But I also think it's important to learn that there's a danger when you allow people who want to talk you off the ledge of your dream for reasons you can't explain or they can't explain. They just don't think you should do it. Somebody told me this true story. Somebody told me. Um, I was a freshman in college, just, just got in Bible college, and I was studying theology. And a lady, at, at, we were at um, um, in, you know, Sunday school, 945, right? And in church, and there was a break between nine, Sunday school and church at 11. And we, were, we used to have breakfast in the little cafeteria we had at the church in L.A. where I went. And a lady said to me, what are you going to school for? And I told her, I said, I'm going to school, Bible college, I'm majoring in theology. She says, oh, please get out of that. Please, please, please. That's the worst job ever. You're going to be broke all of your life. It's horrible. You need to get you a real career. That's what she told me. It was horrible. I'm thinking, wow, this is terrible. And, and, and in that moment, if I listen to her, it's amazing how she could define for me. Who wrote your script and said, you can't be? Who defined you? Who's, who is this person that somehow felt anointed to write a tag and stick it on you? And you just said, okay, I am what they said I am. I don't believe I'm what you say I am. I believe what he, what he says I am and what I'm willing to do. Come on, give the Lord a big hand clap. Amen. I am. Now, here's what I do, but I do believe. I believe you need people that are honest with you about what they've seen in your life. I think there are people who are qualified to speak to you who can say, based on what I see, you don't like to get up in the morning. As a matter of fact, you don't like to get up at all. Based on this room, I don't think you're going to be in the cleaning business. I think that's fair. I think there are some moments when it's fair, but that's a positive moment if it's true. But there are some people who, for reasons that have to do with their own pride and their own level of vision, will tend to define you. I'm real careful, and that's why I use Ricky as an example. I have, listen to me, hear me, no vision to work for Disney World. Am I clear? Me and the mouse are okay, but I have no vision. None. I will never plan to move to Orlando to live there to be with the mouse. I know more about the mouse now than I ever knew in my life because my boy worked for him. So, you know, I know all about the mouse. I done read up on him, visited the mouse. I see the mouse from another side. But that's my fellow. That's my man. If that's what he wants to do, that's fine. But that's his vision. I don't need to somehow say because I don't want to be that he can't be. And parents do that sometimes. You got to be careful about that. You got to be careful with, with your friends. You know, he loves music. And, I mean, it was always music. It was music in the morning, in the night, in the day. I love music, too, but not like him. 
is, and then he used to get up at two in the morning. That boy used to play that piano at one in the morning. He'd be up, and I woke me up one morning. They're playing that thing so loud, and I, I, I said, "Son, please, let's call him Bach, Bach, Beethoven, whatever you are, please." Daddy, I'm sorry. This is his, this is his excuse. Daddy, I'm sorry. It was in my head. I had to get it out. If you don't want me to hit you in your head, you need to stop playing music at one o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to sleep, bro. What you doing, man? No, listen. Okay, Dad, I put earphones. Okay, good. Earplugs. Plug. Play all you want. You're on the other side of the house. You got in that big room. You can play, but you don't need to be banging and waking us up. But yeah, yeah, that's his dream. So music production, that makes sense for him. You know, that, that's something that fits in his vision. And, and there's something about not defining people who don't have that vision. Don't let them define it for you. Number two, you should never allow a moment of tension to distract you from your life's vision or mission. This tension between the the two disciples and the ten guys, when they heard, you know, that tension could be the defining moment. Tension can make you run from stuff forever. I had a moment. True story. I've told this, but I love it. It's my story. It was my defining moment when tension could have defined my whole life. It could have been the peer pressure in that tense moment that could have made me afraid to do this. I was in a, in a, in a show, in a Gladys Night in the Pips, and I was the PIP coordinator, dance, move coordinator. Watch it, people. The brother was jamming. This is back in the 70s. Now, you know, you know, <laughs> you know the moves, right? Dunna, da-dunna, bow your woman. And you were my man. Then you put the hands in it, right? Then you throw your legs out, right? Then you throw it, and then you spin. Wow! Watch out. I'm going to cut it down for you. All right. Now, <laughs> I'm not going to do it anymore. It's, it's copyrighted. But anyway, so, so I, was, I was doing my thing, right? And I told the guys, when we spin out, spin to the right. What did I say? You know what they did. They went to the left, and who looked like, hey, you know what he's doing? The coordinator. <laughs> the coordinator. And, of course, all my friends, middle school, front row. Oh, did they laugh? As only middle schoolers can laugh. I remember today the classroom, Mr. Peters. That was his name, my science teacher. I remember where it was. And on Broadway, we, um, I went to John Adams um, Middle School, and we had, on the right side, we had boys, boys called the boys field, on the left side, girls field on the, left, on the right side. Don't explain why, just the way it was. And we had a tunnel that went underneath Broadway to lead to uh, the, the boys. So I was on the right side. Mr. Peter's class is right there. When I go to L.A. now, I drive by, and I, I'm, it's a moment of silence. Because after the show, we had two shows. After the show, all my friends were in class waiting for me. And when I opened the door, they laughed and roared. I survived it. But it could have been a defining moment that said, you will never speak in public again. But I overcame. Come on, amen. I overcame. It was funny. It was hilarious, and it wasn't my fault, for the record. <laughs> but it, it's, it, I wonder what is the defining moment of embarrassment or shame, or whatever it was, 
that made you think from now on you are no longer qualified. That somehow your whole future should be written off because of a moment. A moment when things didn't quite go right. A moment when finances didn't come together. A moment when the business didn't work. A moment when the marriage didn't work. A moment in your life when you fainted or fell out in public and you wake up and people are standing over you. Is there a moment that you've allowed to define you forever? You'll never go back to the mall. You'll never, you'll never drive again. You'll never, all because of a moment. Somebody hit you, but you don't want to drive anymore. Really? You didn't hit them, they hit you. Well, suppose you hit them. Well, sorry. Say you're sorry, keep on driving. I mean, just, you can't allow that to happen, but that's what happens to people. Thirdly, you should, number one, remember, never allow your ambitions to be defined by people with less vision. Number two, you should never allow a moment of tension to distract you from your life's uh, mission. And number three, you should never forget you are an example to those around you. That, my friend, is what I get out of those, that, that story. When I read about these, these guys, Jesus said, your servants, your examples of the Gentiles, if I can keep that in my mind and like these two guys ignore the frustration of the ten guys who just seem to have a problem with me wanting to be promoted. Why? It's just the way they were. And I can't control that. Neither can you. I'll tell you a great lesson. Learn what you can't control and don't worry about it. I don't control that. I don't have any power to make you think differently, see the world differently. And sometimes, especially in peer or in family or in friendship relationships, you spend so much energy trying to change their mind, trying to get them to see it the way you see it. It's not their calling. That's why they can't see it. It's not their passion. Just like it's not my passion to work at Disney. It's not my passion to do music all the time. It's not, I love music, but it's not, that's not my passion. And I don't, I, don't need, I don't think it's healthy for anybody to, to allow people who don't have their passion to overly control how they think and feel about the world. And I think that's what makes our church work. Our church works because I let you be who you are. And I challenge you to live right and all that good stuff, please. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Okay? I, <laughs> I challenge you to please, uh, you know, remember what we believe in. and try. But, but I understand people have different passions. Some of you like church every week. Some of you don't. So I don't bother you. I want you to come now. But I'm not going to try to try to railroad you and control you. And you see me, you got to apologize. I, that's not how I live. There's something about understanding that some people have a vision. There are members of our church who travel all over the world, and they can only be here once a quarter. They watch online, they stream in, and I embrace them. There are people in our church who have a vision to do things that I would never want to do. You will limit your ability to touch people if you demand that they all see the world the way you do. You will not have many friends. You, you cannot. A friend of mine emailed me the other day. He, 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 he texted me, what's, what's up, me back. He was a phone. Anyway, he called me back, and he, he's, in, he's in Nigeria. How you doing? Good. I'm in Nigeria. I'll be here for a couple weeks. Catch you later. That, that, I don't need, all my friends don't have to be around the corner or available to me. Some of us will never have certain opportunities in life because we, we everybody around us, we, we make them come under our vision. They have to think like us. They have to have time for us. Or they can't be our friend. They have to loan us money. They have to fund our vision. They have to, they have to participate in everything we do. Or you can't be my friend. And that is unfair. And that's not a good friend. 
there are four peer pressures we must confront in our future as a church. And I think not only as a church, but as a, as a, as a people. Number one, repeat, let's say them all together. Say religious peer pressure, financial peer pressure, vocational peer pressure, and cultural peer pressure. In religious peer pressure, we will be tempted to fight all cultural changes because religious people have a hard time changing. I'm the Lord thy God and I change not. We think we're like him. So we don't want to change anything. There are people that have dreams in your ministry that will never happen because it bothers you to change. This church is changing. It's online. It's in person. It's, every, it's like, God, you guys are amazing. Oh, Lord. I just lift my hand and say, Father, help me hold on because the culture is changing. Secondly, financial peer pressure. We will be tempted to be too timid or too aggressive. You're either going to be too timid when it comes to money or you're going to be too aggressive. You're always talking about it. And you, you, you become driven by it or you are so passive that you will never make money. It is my conviction that churches are not good at making money because they don't make it a focus. They're scared to talk about it. The preachers are scared to talk about it. If you talk about it, well, hey, God, again, not my money. See, see, that's a broke person talking. You're never going to have anything. You're in business, but you're not trying to make money. I tell people, if you're trying to make money, try to make money. Just be honest and give people a fair price, but if you're in business, be in business. Can I get an Amen. Why are you in business and you're talking about this is a ministry? Close it down. Just close it down. Go, go pray for somebody. If you're in business selling T-shirts, sell all the T-shirts you can shit sell. Why are you quiet? See, that's what I'm talking about. See it right there, right there. <laughs> Scared. <laughs> then you pray for millionaires to join your church to give you money. If you want God to bless you, don't be afraid to work. Can I get an amen, somebody? No, come on. Give me an Amen. Pastor Ricky, we want you to come and uh, support all of these. How am I going to support it with what? Where am I going to get the money from? If I'm scared to ask for money, I'm scared to raise money, I'm scared to make money, scared to have a business, scared, I'm scared. I'm scared. Well, how am I going to help you with anything? All I'm going to do is get up here and complain. I think we ought to do this in this community, and we ought to do that. And I believe that we as people need to make a difference. Can I get an amen? I believe the church should be on the front lines of providing social help. You can't get no social help. You broke. You can't do anything but complain. Can I get an amen, somebody? I didn't get a loud one. I got a million mouse one. Can I get an amen, somebody? How are you going to help somebody? I want you to have resources. I want you to be able to do things. So, and, and so there's, there's peer pressure to not say anything or to say too much. Pressures you both ways. And then fourthly, cultural pressure, cultural peer pressure. There's something called humanism, which basically is the belief that, you know, your human views are superior to any God, any, any spiritual views. And you elevate your view above God. This is pretty much where people live. What people run into when you get married is you do not have a God philosophy involved in the relationship. It's basically humanistic. It's whatever I feel. And I come up with there is no higher standard or power. And we're driven by it. I believe in a lot of relationships. That's the problem. Do I ask God his opinion? Do I care? Do I believe that God has a voice in the choices I make? Humanism says, no, it's you. What do you want? And guess what? It's different from person to person. It's what you like, what you like, what you like. It's what everybody, everybody gets to choose. Fine. I know it's your life. But where is God in this? And so what happens is we're pressured in college, we're pressured in business, we're pressured in the world, we're pressured when we get into relationships to follow our own feelings. There is no God involved. Until we get in trouble, then we ask him, where is he? When things start crumbling around us, then we want to pray and ask God for his help. 
And he would say, like I say to people who call me for help when they never call me, really? How are you? Who are you? There's something about inviting God into my relationships, into my life. But there's a lot of peer pressure not to do it. T.D. Jakes told a story that was fascinating in his book called Instincts, which I really love. It's a good book. You ought to get it. Page 249 of the book, there's a story about a giraffe. And basically what he says is, you know, giraffes eat from the top of the trees, right? And he said when he's on this safari, he he noticed that when you eat from the top of the trees, it's fascinating. Let me read it for you. He said, while looking at a giraffe on a safari, Jake said, I failed to realize that once you reach a certain level, you can't be offended by other species who continue to looking, who continue looking up from the ground. Once you get to a certain stature, you can't find nourishment in low places. Just because turtles dwell at your feet doesn't mean you should come down from your height and barter with debate or eat alongside them. Now, that can sound arrogant, but the man's making a point. Follow me for a minute. The giraffe eats up here. The giraffe is just a giraffe. Can I ask you to say a giraffe? giraffe. It's just a giraffe. giraffe. Can't help you as a giraffe. You're just a giraffe, okay? Turtle's a turtle. Nothing wrong with being a turtle. Turtles have something to offer to the world. We appreciate turtles. In life, as you grow in your thinking, you will elevate above some of those around you. And this is tough. You're praying for growth. I'm going to talk about maturity next month. Growth is challenging. Because when you grow and you no longer do the things you used to do or you, you no longer want to be in the state of mind you were, you're tired of week to week, you're tired, you're tired, so you get up here now, okay? To them, so what they do is they tease you, oh, really, big shot, oh, look at him, ah, you're the man, you're the woman. Go. So you, you feel when you walk around them, you feel like a giraffe. So now that you are different to you, um, can I say what I want to say? Yeah. To you, having um, that kind of conversation is turtle conversation. Every time we talk about a man, every time we see each other, that's turtle. Because you passed just talking about a man now. You, you, got, you got some giraffe stuff happening up here. You're trying to build a business. You're trying to do something in your life. You're trying to think about your health. You got your mind someplace else. So when you go to the boys in the old neighborhood or the girls in the old neighborhood, to you is turtle talk. None personal, it's just turtle talk. It's just, I don't talk like that anymore. You know, some of you, how many of you used to cuss? I used to cuss. Raise your hand. Put your hand up. Put your hand up. Tell the truth in church. Come on, put your hand up. Now, y'all need to tell the truth in church. I ain't going to tell no truth because you father. I'm going to try one more time. If you ever said a cuss word in your life, raise your hand. There you go. There you go. Okay, everybody's involved. There you go. Why? You see, I just asked the question. Did you put your hand up? You need to put both hands up. Did you put them hands up? Put them up. Put them up. There you go. Talk to me. <laughs> Okay, okay. Hey with me, hey with me. All right. So so you know when you once you stop, you know, because I used to cuss, you know, because I was I was raised around cusses. My mama didn't cuss, but everybody else in my family used to cuss. They used to cuss professionally, they were black belts. <laughs> so 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 but now it's turtle talk to me. I just don't talk like that. But some of you can't help it. You're doing good in church because you're in church. By the time you get outside the door. That blank blank said, what? I can't black blank. I pass Rick. I'm, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Some of you, you black dogs. You kung fu people. All right. So, so anyway. So turtle talk, giraffe talk. That's his point. I can't allow people who think like a turtle and talk like a turtle. I can't do that. And here's what he said. It's powerful. He said this in an interview. He said, he said well, if, a tur- if a giraffe tries to go down and talk to the turtle, his neck is too long. He gets down there. His blood goes to his head. He'll pass out. 
That's why you be sometimes you in this conversation with old friends, you get dizzy. <laughs> you start rocking. <laughs> man, are we still talking about that? You still talking about that? Okay, say amen if you got me. I'm, I'm not trying to put it. Come, come on, amen. You got it. Come on, amen. You got it. I'm not trying to put anybody down. It's just some things are just, I don't, it's turtle talk. I just can't, I can't do that. I, I did insert something I want to say before I close out here. I, there, there is, um, and again, everybody has something to offer you. Everybody, you know, we're not trying to say that people who haven't achieved what you've achieved, that you somehow are to act better than and act snobby. I'm not saying that. But there is something that I think you can fall into is a trap, is trying to, convince people who never will have your vision, who never will dream your dream, you give them too much of a voice in your life. Love them for who they are and don't try to force them to advise you on, in areas that they are uncomfortable with. One, one of my mentors said this to me. It was so powerful. He said, don't put things in people's head they can't get out. When you get certain salaries or you have certain amounts of opportunity, you just can't tell people where you're going. Don't, if, you're going look, if you're going to France tomorrow, don't tell them, just tell them, you, just tell them you're going out of town. Don't tell them you're going to France and Italy tomorrow. Don't say that. Why are you saying that? They, they, they just, as far as they've been, it's Thunderbolt. Don't say anything to them. Don't make these people nervous. If they can't, I'm not putting them down. I'm just simply saying you don't need to, you don't have, you don't have to say all that to everybody. Can I get an amen if you hear me? That's all he's saying. This, these are inserts. Ready? I'm, I'm throw, I'll talk about this another time. But these are five things that I thought about because I thought, I said, you know, there's peer pressure for preachers in churches. And there's five things that are not in your notes. You can write these down. These are five things that I believe peer pressures, they pressure, it pressures churches and preachers. Number one, uh, growth pressures. We're pressured to be bigger, 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 bigger. When people ask me how the church is doing, they want me to say, oh, we're bigger, better than ever. Building the building. Boy, we're growing like a weed. Just there are people everywhere. That's what they want me to say. And if I don't say that, they go, it's doing good, right? And it's, it's amazing we think that... It, it, not stronger, stronger, stronger. They don't ask me that. They don't ask me if you're more mature. They don't ask me anything about that. They want, to, they want me to count beans in numbers. Number two, there's economic margin pressures. There's these pressures with margins that follow you and your family, follow churches, it, you know, this 10% margin thing, you know? So you, you tend to run at about a 10% margin. And that, that puts pressure, creates pressure in, in nonprofits. And then thirdly, time margin pressures. Too many obligations, too many things you say yes to. I've learned I got to say no to 80% of what I'm asked. I got to say no most of the time. I, I just can't say yes to everything. I'm on a United Way board. I do that. And I'm on a couple of other things. I went to this great thing yesterday on human trafficking. It was powerful. I mean, I was moved. It's powerful. We, we got to be a part of that fight, you know. And 3,600 people in Georgia a year are trafficked. Wow. Not just sexually trafficked. They're trafficked. They made them servant work. They bring them over here and make them work in their homes for almost nothing. Take their documents. This is horrible. So there, I, need to, I need to be a part of some of the fights, but I can't join all the fights. Then, then there's what I call, and that gets the time margin. You got your time, your time's too tight. I, I call it headroom. I need room to think and plan and strategize. So you need to say no more than you say yes and make sure you pick and choose. I can do this for a year or two and I can do this for a year, but you got to choose. And then fourthly is what I call generational division pressures. As the, as the generations change, the young people go over here and the older people go over there. Most churches, in my opinion, don't like young people. 
They're not structured for young people. Their services are too long. The sermons don't relate to their issues. It's just not designed for teenagers or kids. And I think there's something powerful about understanding the power of that pressure and, and releasing it. As a sidebar, we as a church have all these dance groups and all these troops. I'm telling you, there's something about me as an older person, I'm 61 now, releasing and letting the youth and the young people in our church, there's 700, right at 800, under the age of 18. Um, we did a study that showed all of our ages, and there's like 300 of you in my age bracket, and it drops way off after that. It's amazing. That's another study, too. We'll talk about that another time. But it's really phenomenal when I look at it and I think back, we could have lost this generation. My wife did something that was so amazing one day. I was about to speak years ago, and I came through a holiness season in my life. I was unchurched, and then I went to a holiness environment, so everything was, like, wrong, you know? You couldn't dance, you know, unless, unless you, the Holy Spirit hit you, didn't you? That's a dance. But if you choreographed it, it was the devil. So, uh, <laughs> so I, never, I never encouraged dance uh, in church, in our church, any choreographed dance. So my wife got together with some people, and, they, and she, I was about to get up to speak. She said, no, don't, don't get up yet. She says, I, I got a surprise for you. I said, what, what surprise? She says, I have a surprise. This is this, watch this, 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 let me. And so I, I said, Diane, what? And so they, dancers got up. And they, they did the most beautiful dance. And from then on, it was open the doors and let everybody dance. And, I, and I'm telling you, that, that has done something to create, the average age in our church is 36. The only reason that we have young, such a young population is because, I mean, as some hundreds of, of college students come here, it's amazing. It's because you let them loose. And, and there's, but there's pressure to make them old. Can I give you an example of this? You folks have this line dancing thing in this church. Y'all know about that? How many of you go to that? You've been in that line dancing thing? I done told them they need to put holy dancing in the announcement. But they don't call it holy dancing. They call it land dancing. And they, I saw a bunch of people in here having fun, bus stopping and doing all. I call it exercise, I guess. Hallelujah. But, but it's the best thing. It's one of the best things I've allowed. I, don't, I mean, it, it, we, we, we are, everything we do goes against the youth in many of our structures. We're ant, we want people to be older and, more, and just more, I don't know, still. And I think that's the pressure a church has to fight. Somebody asked, one of the deacons asked, he says, he said, uh, well, the young people, one of the deacons, I won't say what church, he said, they're all over Pastor Rick. <laughs> I wonder, is that happening in your family? Is, are your kids going this way and you're going that way? They say it's 16, 17. 70% of the kids leave church, the average church. They file out the door. And that's because we struggle with youth. We're not patient. We don't plan systems for them. We don't invest money in them. The reason I feed the college kids every Sunday is, number one, they're hungry. And number two, it's a seed. The reason we have this pantry where they come and get uh, toilet paper and soap and we, they walk out here with bags and I watch them walk out and I think to myself, 
I see 40, 50 of them carrying bags out of here. Some Sunday, 60 of them. And I think to myself, that's a good thing. Come on, amen. That's a good thing. When I see a couple of thousand kids a year walk around, several thousand kids in this county walk around with our uniforms on, I say that's a good thing. There, there's, something, there's something about, you know, us being involved. One of our members was at Walmart the other day. They said they got them on sale for a dollar. They called and, they, man, they, they went buy them all. They bought everything they had for a dollar. Praise God. They're looking for sales so that we can sow those seeds. You know what it costs for a family of four? The uniform, their kids. That's, that's, to me, one of the things, one of the values that we must embrace. Then there's emotional balance pressures, keeping all your mind in focus. That's tough for you sometimes, emotionally. It's tough to be emotionally balanced because you're all over the place. So as I close, I want you to think about this. If you're going to dream again, you got to make sure you're not working alone, make sure you're not naive, make sure you're not confused, and make sure you don't allow those peers to pressure you. And then lastly, you got to make sure you grow. Next week, I'm going to talk about something that's really important. It's called Dreaming an Impossible Dream in this season of your life. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Dreaming an impossible dream in this season of your life. You're dreaming a dream that will never happen, and it's impossible because of the way you see the world. Sometimes the problem is you're dreaming a dream, but you've not matured to the place where that dream is possible. For the next month, I'm going to spend a lot of time in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, through chapter 6, verse 12. That's where my body of study will be. So I'm giving it to you now. You can read ahead and guess what I'm going to say. But there are two things I want you to think about. First of all, do you have the right dream but the wrong attitude? Will your attitude make your dream impossible? You are just not mature enough to have what you're asking for. And the question is, is it impossible? You're dreaming, but the Lord will look at you and say, based on these facts, this dream is impossible. It's going to be a great study. Let's all stand together. I believe that God will speak to you and challenge you in a way that will empower you and your family to not only dream again, but it's going to give you the tools to get to the place you want to be and need to be. Sometimes it's funny. You're dreaming and the Lord's looking at your dream saying, yeah, I have something better than that for you. I've just got to get you to grow up a little bit so you can see it. Ah, Temple, I can do better than working at the airport, slinging luggage for you. Nothing wrong with that job. It's honorable work. But I have a plan for you beyond that, sir. Ah, you can go to college at Ricky Temple. Yes, you can, sir. Matter of fact, you can get a master's degree. Matter of fact, you can get a doctor. Boy, I tell you, you can do more than you think, son. I'm telling you now. Hey, hey. But you got to grow. The question is, will you grow? Next month, the whole study is about maturity. How much growth will you allow God to bring into your life? Want to fix your marriage? It's all about growing up, people. Marriage is not for children. You want a business that's going to prosper? All right, Mr. CEO, you've got to mature in your approach to your business. Pay attention. You want to be healthy? You've got to be mature. Look at the facts. Make the adjustments. Do what's necessary. Father, we leave today believing that you called us to a moment of thought. We're dreaming. But the question is, 
Are we willing to make the investments, the sacrifices to get to the dream? We go to the grocery store of dreams. We put everything in the buggy. But when we get to the checkout stand, we don't want to pay. Is that how we're living? Keep putting stuff back. But God, I pray as we leave that you would inspire people to believe they can. With those hands lifted high, Father, we leave today asking you to touch us in ways that only you can touch us. Hearts have been spoken to today and minds have been redirected. And I believe by faith they'll leave here today inspired and lifted to a new place. With every hand down for a minute and every head bowed, if you'd say, Pastor Rick, I've heard you today. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for me on my way out this door. I need to give my life to Jesus. You said something that spoke to me in so many ways. And my big step is, okay, God, I need to invite you into my life. If that's you, you said, just pray for me on my way out this door, Pastor. Would you raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for? Pray for me, Pastor. I need to give my life to Christ. I have not. I see you. Anybody else saying pray for me? I need, I need God in my life in a way that I haven't had him in my life. Let every hand lifted. Father, we pray for that person and we pray for those who raise their hands and many who raise their hearts. May this be the beginning of a new life for them. And may they leave this place and never be the same. We give you all the praise and all the glory. You died on the cross to make us, to give us freedom. And so we praise you and honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody say amen. Well, you've had a chance to look at your friends, think about what I've said. I pray that it inspired you to take a step back in your life and look at what you're doing. Are you connected with people that help you advance? Or are you connected with people that are slowing you down? Let me pray for you. I pray for you that you would let this prayer be the beginning of a new way of thinking. Father, let them think about their friendships again. I pray that you'd help them to build good friendships. They'll help them get to the goals they have in life and the things you desire for them. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, listen, it's been great. I've enjoyed being with you today. I'm a big believer in friendships. I have a lot of good friends, but I try to choose them carefully so that I can get to the goals I have in life. You be blessed. I'll see you next time right here. Hopefully in person, but if not, I'll see you next time right here. Bye-bye. Be blessed.